strangest thing that's ever happened to you. That would be a wonderful discussion. If we could just sit down and eat a snack and drink a little bit and just go around the room and say, what's the strangest thing that's ever happened to you? So I'll just share one with you and then we'll get, get to our, our lesson. So when we go to these, uh, this conference, different conferences, they want you to wear a lanyard. A lanyard has, a lanyard has your name, identity on it, where you're from, like that. So at PTP, we have a regular lanyard, okay? Just plain old blue PTP lanyard, okay? So this year, I come in and, and a friend of mine who preaches in uh, Virginia, he has on a, a crimson tide lanyard. I said, where'd you get your crimson tide lanyard? He said, well, uh, Steve Vice, he got it for me. And so Steve Vice is, is a missionary elder from the Forest Park Church near uh, Atlanta. So almost immediately in the hallway, I see Steve Vice. Just halfway jumping. I said, Steve, what's up? You got Eddie, who lives in Virginia, Alabama, Lanyard, and here I am, born and raised, and you didn't get me one? He said, Man, I just, that's terrible of me. I said, It is terrible of you. Okay? And so, uh, two days later, I run into Steve Vice in the hallway. He's got a boss. He said, Stop right there. And so he'd gotten on Amazon and ordered me a Bama lanyard. Okay. He says, hold it right there. And he said, this just come in. So I open it and he stands there and he's smiling. I said, did you go and do it? He said, yeah, I did. So I pulled out of the box and it wasn't a Bama lanyard. It was Ohio State. <laughs> it was Ohio State. He looked at it. He said, what a mistake. He said, brother, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I said, no problem. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I wore the Ohio State Lander all during the week. And, and Christopher James and others stopped me and said, what's up with that Ohio State? And then when I got home, in the mail, was waiting on me a Bama Lander from Steve Vice. And he, he made it right. That was a very strange thing. So I've decided I'm going to give my Ohio State Lander to Brother Wendell Denny. And he's going he's to treasure this Ohio State. Well, said all that to say that uh, just for a short time this evening, we're going to talk about some strange things in the Bible. Some strange, strange things in the Bible. I'm going to stick with the King James Version uh, this evening because I just want to follow the word strange. In other versions, the word strange might be uh, translated foreign, the word foreign, or uh, the word um, unauthorized, sometimes is used, sometimes the word um, forbidden is used in the place of strange, but uh, for convenience sake, notice these few strange things in the Bible, and we stick with the King James Version tonight. So first of all, the Bible mentions strange gods, Genesis uh, 35, strange <laughs> Strange gods, Genesis 35, the first few verses. Jacob is making his way uh, back home. God appears to Jacob and says, At Bethel, I want you to make an altar, and I want you and your people uh, to worship me. And Jacob, right away, 
he told his family, he told the people who were with him, he says, we got to put away the strange gods that are among us. Some of Jacob's own family and some of the travelers with Jacob had become idolaters while they were away from uh, home. And so before they could go and worship God, Jacob wanted them to put away their strange gods, Genesis 35, 1 through 35. So they, they collected all their strange gods. They went and buried them under this tree. And then they were ready to go and offer their worship to God at the altar uh, in Bethel. Okay. And so the Bible mentions uh, strange gods, which of course would refer to any god other than Jehovah God uh, of the universe, of the Bible. Okay. Now, there are still strange gods across uh, the world. Uh, in India, they worship the cobra snake. The snake is worshipped quite a bit. When you get out of the regions of the United States, the, worst, the snake is worshipped quite a bit, especially the cobra snake. The belief is that the snake represents um, death and, and rebirth uh, because of the shedding of its skin. Uh, foreigners have looked at the snake as, uh, as a symbol of rebirth and re renewal. Okay. But especially in India, the worship of the cobra uh, snake. And uh, they'll make images pictorial images, uh, images of wood, images of even a, of stone, and they'll bring in their flowers, they'll bring in food, they'll bring in, they'll even pour milk over the cobra uh, image, and uh, they'll bring lighted candles and set it before uh, the image. There is, a, there is a real belief in India that if you do not do respect to the cobra snake family, then they will bring harm to you. And when Kelly's dad was over there working, he would often want to get, a, get close to a cobra snake and take a picture of it so he'd come back home and show it to his brethren at home. And when he would get close to a cobra snake, the Indian brethren would say, no, sir, no, 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 because it was hard for them to put away that old belief that the cobra snake can come back and harm you if you do any harm uh, to it. And so the Bible mentions a foreign or strange, strange uh, gods. And we have our gods also, not as outwardly, not, as, uh, not in a flagrant way like they do in other parts of the world, but we have our gods. Ezekiel 14 verse 4 talks about idols in the heart. Idols in the heart. And we sometimes have idols in the heart. A, um, the possessions that we have can become a God. Okay. Uh, people around us can become a God. Jesus said in Matthew 10, um, 34 to 37, He said, He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Pleasure can certainly be, become a God. So think about that. Uh, possessions, people, and pleasure can become idols uh, in the heart and can be just as dangerous to the soul as any other idol uh, in the world. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 speaks of people loving pleasure more than God and being lovers of their own selves more than lovers 
of God. And as Jacob instructed his people to put away your gods because we've got to worship the true God, so we must put away our idols in order to serve the true and living God. You might glance with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and notice a couple of verses there in relation to idols. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, very commendable of several of the people in Thessalonica that they had listened to the gospel and put away uh, their idols. Picking up with the Apostle Paul, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So these who had turned from the idols had quite a bit of uh, understanding of the gospel. They understood they must turn uh, from their sin. Okay. And in turning from their sin, they must serve the Lord Jesus. And also as they serve the Lord Jesus, they must wait because there's a day coming, a day of wrath coming. And so all this motivated them to stick with the truth and leaving God. Okay. All right. Sometimes we don't do as well in our faith because we haven't put away our gods, our idols. Sometimes when we're seeking to help somebody else to come to Christ, sometimes we, we first must help them get rid of their idols um, in order to help them see the gospel. So the Bible speaks, first of all, of strange gods. Secondly, the Bible speaks of strange worship. Strange worship. Exodus 30 and verse 9 speaks of strange incense being offered under the law of Moses. You recall in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 that Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before God. Okay. The situation there was that God had uh, Moses to construct a brazen altar and from that brazen altar, that bronze altar, they were to take fire and do their their offering of incense and they were to use that fire from the, from the bronze altar and do their different sacrifices within the tabernacle. And evidently, Nadab and Abihu, uh, they went and got their fire from some other source. They either brought their fire from home or from a neighbor's house or from some other source. They didn't get it from the bronze altar. And by offering this strange fire, that was not acceptable to God. Worship is only acceptable to God as we follow his instru instructions regard uh, to worship. Okay. And um, the same thing happened with Cain and Abel, you know. Cain brought uh, from the fruit of the ground. Abel brought from the firstlings, uh, the firstborn of his flock. Okay. Now in Hebrews, we read in Hebrews 11 and verse 4, that Abel offered his by faith and it was accepted. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and 17. So evidently, Abel listened to God carefully and then offered the proper worship, whereas Cain evidently did not listen to God. And instead of bringing the firstborn from the flock, uh, he brought from the fruit of the ground. And so the Bible speaks of strange worship. And we learn, of course, from this, that not just anything we offer to God uh, in worship is, is acceptable and pleasing uh, to him. 
So often, so often, when you're talking with someone, they will say, well, just as long as you worship, it doesn't matter how you worship. And of course, that just will not be pleasing uh, to God. So the Bible speaks of strange gods. The Bible speaks of strange worship. Turn over now with me to the book of Proverbs and notice that the Bible speaks of strange women. Strange women. And we're going to start right here in Proverbs chapter 5. So number 3, the Bible speaks of strange women. Look with me here to Proverbs 5. When the Bible speaks of a strange woman, it's talking about a forbidden woman, a woman who is uh, trying to be enticing, uh, trying to be seductive, trying to get a man to get involved in relations, um, intimate relations that he should not be involved in. And so there's a warning here. Proverbs 5, um, verse, verse number 3 says, For the lips... Of a strange woman uh, dripped like honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, uh, she is bitter as wormwood, and she is sharp as a two edged sword. That's what happens in the end. Okay. Let your eyes go over to Proverbs 6 and 24. The wisdom of God is given, Proverbs 6 and 24. To uh, protect us from the evil woman, it says here. Uh, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Uh, do not desire her beauty in your heart. And do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. Okay. So evidently these strange women, uh, the forbidden women, will use two big things. They'll use their eyes. And they use their words. Their lips drip like honey. And their eyelashes, their eyes, they'll use their eyes. They'll use their beauty. They'll use their eyes. They'll use uh, their words. Can you imagine what words they might use? Can you imagine? They might say something like, well, um, you know, just this one time won't hurt. Uh, nobody will ever really know what we're doing. Uh, you've worked so hard and uh, you've been loved so little uh, that you deserve some extra attention. You see, the lips of a forbidden woman uh, drip like honey. And she begins to make sin sound so uh, inviting and so very innocent and so very needful. That's what she does with her lips. We recall back in Genesis 39, verse 7, that this is the kind of things that um, Potiphar's wife used against Joseph. And Joseph was so faithful. But she would speak to him day by day. And she would cast her eyes upon him day by day. And she would, in the end, she would say, you need to come and lie down with me. You need to come and lay down with me. That was her, that was her aim. So she would catch Joseph when he's all by himself in the room. She would cast her eyes upon him day by day. She would talk to him, talk to him. Finally, she reached out and grabbed him, and he, he fled from that fornication. See, this is how the Bible speaks of a strange, a strange woman. Okay. And 
Of course, we need to be on guard, us men. We need to be on guard because this is why the wisdom of God is given uh, to us. What is the solution here? Well, Paul talks about the solution. He says the solution is marriage. Let me read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 5 about younger widows. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 5. There's a time in life where the desires, especially in youth, are so powerful that um, God instructs, God advises marriage. Marriage while you're young. Well, here it is. 1 Timothy 5, beginning in verse 11. Um, but refuse to enroll younger widows. For when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry. And so they incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. See what, see, see what happens when our passions take over. It causes us to abandon the faith of Jesus Christ. Okay. It consumes us. All right. So Paul says, verse 13, 1 Timothy 5, he says, Besides this, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that they should not uh, say. So I would that younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and do not give the adversary occasion for slander. So that's Paul's advice. The Bible speaks of strange gods. The Bible speaks of strange worship. The Bible speaks of strange women. Now going over to Isaiah chapter 28, see that the Bible speaks of strange actions of God. Strange actions of God. In other words, sometimes the actions that God takes are con considered strange by the world. Well, in Isaiah 28, Isaiah is warning from God of judgment coming. Judgment's going to come, first of all, to the northern kingdom of Israel. He, he begins Isaiah 28 by talking about Ephraim. Ephraim stands for the northern kingdom of Israel. Along about 722, 721 B.C., God sent the Assyrian nation to capture and to take away his own people, the northern kingdom of Israel, because of their sins. But then later in the same chapter, along about verse 14, he begins to talk about Jerusalem and the southern kingdom of Judah. And there is a warning for them that eventually there's going to be a nation to come and capture them because of their sin and their idolatry. And that nation would be the nation of Babylon. So along about 606, 605 B.C., the nation of Babylon came, began to take away parts and parts and more and more parts of the nation of, of Judah. Now in verse 15 and 16 here in Isaiah 28, um, Isaiah says, God says through Isaiah, that one of the reasons that these nations have fallen is because they took refuge in lies. Lies, L-I-E-S, lies. They covered themselves with lies. They, they took for shelter, they took the words of men. They listened to, to men. One of the popular sayings back then was, well, if you'll just remember to, to uh, make, a, uh, make friends with the nation of Egypt, then, 
then uh, in the very last, if it comes down to it, you can just go to Egypt. Egypt will be your friend. Egypt will be your ally. Okay. So they would trust in lying words. Okay. And they would cover themselves and take shelter in what men were saying instead of listening uh, to God. Well, along about Isaiah 28 and verse 21, this gets us to the strange thing here. The nations were saying, as God began to punish his own people, the nations were saying how strange it is that God would punish his own people. You see, sometimes the actions of God are considered strange. And the world back then thought it was really strange that God would punish his own people people. Okay. But we standing on this side of, of God's scheme of things can see that this is really what God will do. Okay. We know that when we turn over and read Acts chapter 5 that, that right there in the early church Ananias and Sapphira you remember that? They were not members of some other religious group. They were members of, of the Lord's church in those early days. And they became dishonest. They, they said one thing and did another in regard to what they were giving to the Lord. And the Lord knew what they were doing. He knew the thoughts and intents of their heart. And he struck them both down dead. We know that it's not a strange thing for God to punish his own people. And God certainly will do that. If, if we fall away from the faith, if we depart from the faith, then he will indeed punish us as if we had never come to the faith uh, in the first part. First thing. Turning over to 2 Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 20 if you'd like to read uh, with me. 2 Peter 2 and verse 20 Peter sp speaks about this very occasion, very thing of somebody leaving the, uh, the faith. Verse number 20 of 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 uh, Peter writes for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ they are again entangled in them and overcome okay. that talk, that's talking about someone who has come to know Christ and obeyed him become uh, baptized into him uh, they have received forgiveness of sins but now they are, in, they are again entangled in the world alright what does Peter say? He says, well, if this happens, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to have never known the way of righteousness than uh, after uh, knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. But he says the true proverb uh, says, and it's happened just like that true proverb, the dog returns to his own vomit. And the sow, after washing herself, uh, returns to wallow in the mud, in the mire. So sometimes the actions of God are considered uh, strange. Strange indeed. Just a little side note here. Not only does God punish his own people, sometimes God will discipline his own people. And we won't take this occasion to... to follow that trail, but it's, it's something to study on our own. Okay. Hebrews 12 and verse 5 uh, makes the comparison between um, a parents who will, who will discipline their children in order to um, 
help them mature later on. Even so, the Heavenly Father will bring um, challenges to our lives in order to um, make us holy uh, like Him. Okay. So the Bible speaks of strange actions of God. So let's see, how many is that? Uh, strange gods, strange worship, strange women, strange actions. Also the Bible speaks, number five, of strange teachings from God. The world, that is, the world, uh, sometimes looks at God's teachings as being uh, strange. Okay. Let me just make a reference to Hosea 8, just because I, I like it. Uh, here. I like it. I, it just, um, it's just, um, it's new to me. Or it's, um, I just recently read it again. Hosea 8, 11, and 12. Uh, this time God, through the prophet Hosea, is warning the northern kingdom of Israel. Because the northern kingdom of Israel, Ephraim, Ephraim, uh, they've been sinning wildly uh, in their worship. And God even says this to them. He says, even if I wrote to them, Thousands upon thousands and upon thousands of commandments, still they would consider it strange. You see, sometimes the teachings from God are considered strange. And this is, this, this is where God's own people had gotten in that day. Okay? They were looking at the commandments of God and they have gotten so far away from them that they considered the very commandments of their own God as something strange. In comparison to that, we read in Hebrews 5, verse 11, that what had happened to some brethren in the early days of the church, they had become dull of hearing. And it was going to be needful that someone, again, teach them the first principles of the gospel of Christ. So don't just frown on what happened to the northern kingdom of Israel back in those days. Sometimes, sometimes the very teachings of our Lord today can become strange uh, to us. The teachings of God sometimes are considered strange. Another example of this is Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 21, where Paul goes into Athens and he begins to talk about Jesus and the resurrection. And those Epicurean and Stoic philosophers look, come to Paul and say, look, you, you're bringing strange things to our ears. And we want you to sit down and explain this to us. Now these uh, Stoic philosophers, they weren't really interested in finding the truth. They prided themselves on knowing about all the different religions of the world. They, they, want, they didn't want one to pass by their way. That, their religion was to know about all the religions of the world. And so they had not heard about Jesus and the resurrection. So what was Paul saying? He was going in there and he was saying, let me tell you about the Lord Jesus who died for the sins of the world. He was also raised on the third day. Okay. And that is a preview of what's going to happen on the judgment day. That he's, going to, he's going to create this big general resurrection of all the bodies. And they said, this is strange things to us. Very strange. Sometimes God's teachings, teachings from God can be considered uh, strange. We experience that even now. When we just simply teach as the New Testament tells us to teach, we insist that obedience is part of faith. People think that's strange. They really do. They, they'll, they'll look at you and they'll say, um, you know, 
why do you guys want to try to earn your way to heaven? They think that by our, assistant, by our insistence on obedience that we're trying to earn our way into God's favor, which is the furthest thing from the truth. I never have understood this. I never have. How is it just because we consider God the master, which he is, he's the Lord, he's the Lord and master, okay? How is it that by simply doing what God says to do, that somehow we think that's obligating God uh, to save us or to put us in his favor? That's the furthest thing from the truth. We're just simply recognizing our own position. Our position is that we are the created beings. We are, we are the servants. He is the master. What does a servant do with his master? What's the relationship there? Well, when the, when the master says do something, we just jump up and do it. Okay? The, the master is not obligated toward the servant. The servant is simply doing what he needs to do what he should do because of his position in life. And that's exactly the way it is with God. And I never have understood this idea of, of simply, because we do what God says, we're, we're thinking we're earning our way toward God. Not, not at all. Not at all. What else are we supposed to do as servants of God? Sometimes people think it's strange that we insist on water. On water. Water of baptism. They say, you guys believe in water salvation. Water salvation. Okay. If God was going to, if God was going to make water baptism a condition of salvation, then what else would He need to say? I mean, who is it that has brought water salvation? Who has? Who is it has brought baptism to this earth? Okay. Sometimes those round about us. At light, we're the ones that created water baptism. It was God that did that. Okay? It was Jesus that talked about that. And we could just line up passage after. If God wanted to make, if God intended to make water baptism a condition of salvation, what else would he need to say? And so sometimes the teachings from God are considered uh, strange. And so, um, in the next place, living for God sometimes is considered strange. And let's turn together just for a minute to 1 Peter chapter uh, 4. 1 Peter 4. So, let's see what we've done here. Um, there are strange gods. There are strange worship. There are strange women. Uh, sometimes the actions of God are considered strange. He's going to punish His own people. Sometimes the teachings from God are considered strange. Sometimes here in 1 Peter 4, living for God is considered strange. And notice this, 1 Peter chapter 4, first few, first few verses here. Um, Peter says, let's just pick up in verse 2, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human desires, human passions, but for the will of God. That's, that's what we're about. When we come to Christ, we're going to live no longer after our own will, but for the will of God. Not after our own desires, but for the will of God. Verse 3, the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, having uh, lived in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are... 
they are surprised or they think it strange that you do not join them in the same excess of riot. You see that? Verse, verse, number, um, verse number four. Okay. They, are, they, they are surprised or they think it's strange that you, in living for the will of God, do not run to the same excess of riot. See, sometimes living for God is looked upon as strange. As strange. Now, the purpose of this is to try to take us down. To take us down. You see, misery, we've always heard misery loves company. And most of the time, instead of trying to just uh, respect God, then people want those who are trying to respect God to join them in their disrespect. So in the fact that misery loves company, they want to see us be taken down as well. And so they put pressure on us to try to make us feel odd or to make us feel out of place because we're simply trying to live for God and we're not going to be running to the same excess or the same practices that they are practicing. Now Peter's response here in verses 5 and 6 is really two major things. Peter says, okay, first of all, remember that God's going to judge everybody, including these guys who are trying to make you feel odd. And secondly, that's why we preach the gospel to those who are dead in sin, is try to help them see that they need also to, to come out of the world and serve in a very distinct way the, the true and living God. Okay. But it is true we admit that oftentimes the reason we as Christians jump into sin is because we are made to feel strange. We're made to feel strange. How many have taken the first drink? How many Christians have taken the first drink because they didn't want to feel odd? They didn't want to feel left out. I remember a friend of mine and, and my mom and dad had just when I was around 17, just started allowing me to, to ride around my friends at night. And so there we go. There we go. We're riding around at night. Okay. We were huge. We were huge. So there we go. So my friend has borrowed his dad's old Cadillac. And there we go. And he says, I know where I want to go. So after we drove through McDonald's, we went, he said, there's a, there's a party going on. It's out here at this apartment complex. And it's in the main meeting room, the, the community room. And so we drove through there and some of our buddies at Sue came out there and they had these styrofoam cups, but it wasn't Coca-Cola in there. And they smelled terrible. They came up to our windows and they were just smiling real big, smiling bigger than we've ever seen them smile ever before. And the only reason they're doing that is because there were other people doing that that night. Only reason. And we just kept driving. Kept driving. Now, one of the things that my wife said to me back when she saw that we were going to be heading into preaching and ministry and that thing, she says, do not use me as an example 
when you are preaching or when you're teaching. Do not use me. Okay. All right. So I'm about to break that rule just for a second. Okay. The reason she didn't like that is because when her dad was preaching, he constantly did it. He constantly was making references to family matters. Okay. But when we were first married, and we're living in Montgomery, and we're just making do, making do. We're in school, and we're just making ends meet. She was working at um, a Bible and book supply place <coughs> run by members of the church. Okay. And I forget the name of it she was running. And so she worked there. And then so one evening or one, one day, one week, some of the ladies at work said, now, we're going to be having a gathering uh, this Friday now. We want you to come, Kelly. We want you to come uh, just for a little gathering. So, of course, she went. Of course she went. Okay. And uh, well, when she got there before long, she understood that the main activity that night was going to be watching a movie called Dirty Dancing. Any of you older people remember that movie? Dirty Dancing. Christian ladies getting together watching Dirty... Patrick Swayze, Dirty Dancing. And my wife excused herself. Okay. Pretty soon after that. But there they were. And all the rest of them were going to do it only because they would feel strange in not doing it. Okay. That's how the first drink happens. That's how you end up watching something you shouldn't watch. That's, that's why you end up going to a, a dance or a party that you shouldn't be going to. That's, that's how you end up listening to dirty jokes that you shouldn't be listening to. It's because you feel odd not doing it. They think it's strange. Who is they? The world. They think it's strange that we're not running to the same excess of riot. I just mentioned this and we'll be done. The other strange thing that I was going to mention is from Jude in verse 7. Jude mentions in King James Version, strange flesh. Strange flesh. He's warning about judgment. He's saying, look, Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom and Gomorrah, don't you remember? They went after strange flesh. Some of you are doing the same thing. Why does Jude, by inspiration, refer to it as strange flesh? Why does, why does he refer to to lesbian and homosexual activity as strange, going after strange flesh because it's not natural. It's not natural. As Romans 1, 26 and 27 says, some men and some women lead the natural use, the natural relations of a man and woman and they burn in their desire for one another. Man with man, woman with woman. It's not natural. Not natural. So it's called a strange flesh. Well, just for our introduction tonight, uh, just for our uh, devotion tonight, just for our thoughts tonight, some strange things uh, in the Bible. And there are many more of these, but maybe this can get, get you started on, a, on some more study on down the road. We're going to be singing this song here in just a second. What, is it, ben, is it 580? And what's the name of the song? Why keep Jesus waiting? I think if you back up just two or three songs to like 577, similar song called There's a Stranger at the Door. There's a Stranger at the Door. Of course, that's referring also to Jesus being at the door. But is he a stranger?
to us. We've been talking about strange things. Strange things. Hadn't you rather be considered strange by the world and be familiar to God than the other way around? James 4 verse 4 says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Hadn't you rather be, hadn't you rather be familiar to God and strange to the world? God and His teachings do not need to be strange to us. And let's give thought as we sing together here. Is God a stranger to me? Has His, has his teachings become strange uh, to me? And maybe it is this season that you want to make an important change in your life. We invite you to come right now as we stand together. As we stand.